On today's episode, we are spanning from PLG to TV, an era of product-led growth and a streaming service overload. Plus, The Good Place. You, Eleanor Shellstrop, are dead. Cool. You're okay, Eleanor. You're in The Good Place. How can this NBC original teach us a ton about content marketing? All this and more today on Recur Now. From ProfitWell's Boston HQ, it is Thursday, October 17th. I'm Abby Sullivan. And I'm Grace Gagnon. It's a beautiful day to subscribe. Up first, your daily digest of subscription. Gee, we are facing a streaming service overload, and Amdocs Media has the findings and the repercussions. Amen to the streaming service overload. There's so much to watch and so many places to watch. So apparently that Amdocs survey, it found that 27% of people now pay more than $100 per month in subscriptions, and that's as much as the average person would spend on cable. I honestly can't say I'm surprised by this number, though. I've been overwhelmed by streaming even before the official so-called wars began with Apple, Disney Plus, Netflix, and the whole clan in the news every other day, it feels like. So, Abby, you're not alone. Amdocs found in a survey with more than 100 streaming services available, many watchers are also feeling overwhelmed. But Amdocs reports that 59% of those surveyed said they were happy with their pre-existing subscription situation, which means it could be difficult to get them to spend more, which is bad news for both established players looking to raise rates and new services looking to get consumers to try them out. Yeah. Yeah, those points you made has me wondering what exactly would give those new and existing streaming services the leg up. Okay, despite that I am not the best data point here, I'm far from an avid TV watcher, although not quite at a cord cutter. I think it must come down to content as well as price point, inevitably. What do you think, G? Well, I am an avid TV watcher and I can attest to the content point and pricing too. You know, you don't want to pay too much for what you're watching, but I usually stick with Netflix and Hulu. But lately, Apple TV has my attention because of the content it's going to be dropping in November. So back to the survey, it recorded the top response as price at 37%, followed by more content at 22%, and customer service as low as 9%. Interesting to hear of the customer service there at number three. But I guess when I think about my experiences with something like Comcast customer service, I'd honestly like to throw my TV out the window. What else was on that list of priorities? Yeah, so there was personalized content, fewer ads, and peer recommendations. I'm honestly surprised they're not higher on that list now that you mention it. Yeah, me too. But like you said, it often whittles down to the end-all be-all of why people seek out these services in the first place. Content. Mm -hmm. And if you're tuning into the streaming wars on the regular, connect with us and we'll talk TV. Yeah, send me a note at abby at recurnow.com. We want to know why you stream or why you don't. What's keeping you coming back and what would entice you to step out from your current streaming regimen and hop on another bandwagon? Who will win the battle of binging? Until then, more in content marketing. Grace, take it away. Jay Akunzo from Marketing Showrunners on our radar again, sharing how binge-worthy content leads to relationship building. It's detailed in his latest piece, What Marketers Can Learn from How NBC Promotes Hit Shows. He uses The Good Place on NBC as an example case. There's been a big mistake. I'm not supposed to be here. 
Wait, what? Now, we not only dig this piece because The Good Place with Kristen Bell and Ted Danson is spot on, but this article by Jay highlights some super important points. How NBC gets mileage out of its content, a return on its investments, and most critically, a passionate audience that adores its shows by creating what he calls one bajillion pieces of content to promote and grow just one show. Something he wishes he could inject in the brains of every marketer on planet Earth right now. He points to a tweet by our pal Chris Savage from Wistia who highlighted this NBC initiative at the Change the Channel event they hosted earlier this month. He said most content is designed to solve people's problems. That's useful, but it's also not going to help build a relationship. Relationship building happens through binge-worthy content. A lot of this longer form content People are spending really more time with it and they may not be customers at all. They may not have even heard of us before and it allows us to tap a much bigger audience. And so we call this type of content binge-worthy content because it is so good that people want to binge watch or binge listen to it. So if they're coming in on the commute and they're looking at their options, they may actually listen to what you're making or if they're cooking at night or maybe even if they're on the Peloton. In any of these cases, that would be great, you know? Two, two media streams at once. Um, but binge-worthy content is the key piece for how you can create more time with your brand. And he knows, quote, no one out there is better at this than media companies. So they've got an episode. They make a trailer for that episode. They take that trailer. They put it on social. Then they cross-promote on other NBC properties like Superstore, Brooklyn Nine-Nine, and Will and & Grace. Can you believe that Will & Grace is back? Yes, it's a fantastic show. <laughs> and then we've got Kristen Bell, who is the lead, aka, AKA Eleanor Shellstrop. She goes on morning shows. They take clips from that, put that on social. And then Dancing hits the late night circuit, and that gets promoted on social as well. And then the episode airs. And considering the backdrop of our content marketing world today, we're amid rapid fire creation of it. So if interested, Jay breaks down how NBC does this, and then you can stop chasing impressions and start doing things that actually impress. We'll include a link to the full article in your subscriber newsletter. All right, Abby, back to you. Today, I connect with Despina Exodactylo, the founder of Reinvent Growth, a consulting agency focused on helping SaaS companies implement and scale product-led go-to-market strategies. And she's reminding us of the power of being product-led. Thanks for connecting, Despina. Tell me a little about Reinvent Growth. We are a consulting agency on product-led go-to-market strategies and onboarding because we truly believe that these two are so intrinsically connected with each other especially now that product data is a thing and product analytics is part of everyday's workflow for most of customer-facing teams and, of course, product management. So we help teams optimize and scale their go-to-market and onboarding strategies. And you've authored the State of Product-Led Experience, which is packed with product-led growth research, with data and insights from 40-plus leading SaaS orgs like our friends at HubSpot, Intercom, Drift, Wistia. As we've said before, we know product-led growth has been used by some of the most successful SaaS companies for years, but it's only in recent months that the wider community has taken full notice of it. Do you agree with that sentiment? And if so, why do you think that is? It is for sure a challenge for the community. It is for sure a new concept. Organizations are thinking they are in between two roads, doing things that they were done until now, until very recently, it's going to take a while. I mean, I have seen organizations going towards product-led, 
or at least trying to make the transformation, the more internal departments you have the worst because you have to sync so many people under one common language. And it's very difficult as you grow to do that. Well, how do you hope your state of product-led experience will help people who leverage it for their own product-led initiatives? What's your main advice for marketers to do here? Not to be afraid to make the transition because eventually the products that are going to survive are those that capitalize on their own superpowers. And trying, even though the transition to a product-led go-to-market model may not be something done overnight, try to capitalize as much as possible in product experience, which is also a very new concept, and see how they can shift the mindset of the end user and the buyer towards a more modern way of buying and trying We will link to the full report download in your daily rundown. And come December, Despina will release an updated version of her report, sharing exclusives with the RecurNow team prior to its release. Keep your eyes peeled for more on PLG. As always, we will share it with all of our subscribers. And that's it for your subscription news. Next up, a game of Name Your Price with our ProfitWell crew. Name Your Price is a game in which players are prompted with questions of monetary value. Today, we've got Andrew Gear, Ian Black, Neil Desai, and Gina Aginson, along with myself, to weigh in. How much would I have to pay you to move cross-country for five years? And this is for work, work-related. You can't bring your significant others with you, your loved ones. Location of choice, cross-country, far away. And we wouldn't be able to convince the significant other to nope. move on the side. She, th- that person would have to stay behind. I mean, I guess you could try some convincing, but it probably wouldn't work is my, that's what I'm saying. Okay, it won't work. All right. I'm going <laughs> yeah. pr- to proceed on that basis. I'll go first. Um, I'm going to go with half a million. All right. Um, 100K a year? Yeah, basically. Okay. I think uh, I'd still want to travel back home a bunch, kind of see people. So there's a lot of travel involved with that. And just a lot of other things I just wouldn't really plan for. I typically like being in one place. And to move and come back just seems like a lot of hassle for me. I'd really want to make it worth my while. Yeah, it's really just the price of your time. Yeah. Cool. Ian, what's up? I said 200000 I would go to California where I'm from. So it's not going back to the West Coast. But in this scenario, if I had to leave my significant other behind for five years... I would need to be compensated for it because we live together. So that that. would kind of suck. That would suck. But you'd make it work. Five years, 200 grand in the bank. If it's a a long-term thing, hey, it'll be all good. I know having an end point is crucial. I would need another zero, I think, to to commit to a five-year long-distance relationship, which isn't what the question is. I'm just saying that like... In a way. All right, I'm going with 60K. And the reason for that is... I've always wanted to move, so it doesn't really scare me to move, especially if it's five years. There's like a finite amount there. I do, however, have all my family here on the East Coast, so I wouldn't want to leave them. My sister is trying to start a family. wouldn't want to miss those crucial years of the baby's lives. So I was thinking about $1,000 a month extra, $1,000 extra per month per year would kind of give me a push to be able to travel back there and be a nice icing on the cake 
$1.3 million. Whoa, <laughs> someone's in love. Uh, no, I mean, it's just, it's not, it's not all of that. Uh, you know, I'm a creature of habit. I like Boston. My family's on the East Coast as well. You know, the, the Bay Area is expensive. So if I'm trying to move out there, I need some cash. True that. And uh, you know what? Uh, I want $3 million. Yeah, I may as well get money for it. Uh, you can tell who here is not from the East Coast. Five thousand dollars. Uh, <laughs> that's no my, money. Literally pay my relocation expenses. That's how much that's the movers no cost. I, yeah, I, I have no you intention. Don't profit. I have no intention of staying in Boston long term. I have likely no intention of staying in the states long term. If I get the chance to live on the West Coast as well as the East Coast at some point, uh, I think my bigger thing is that I don't want to necessarily commit to five years in one place. I've never lived Ooh. somewhere for five years. Uh, it is a very scary prospect. So for me, it's much more the fact that I have zero. That that would be the only thing. But wow, so you're like total opposite of Neil. I guess yes. so. Yeah, I don't um, like moving. I don't pack my suitcases, especially if I'm getting five grand. I can get a pod that someone moves. Easy. <laughs> You want to live in a pod? What? No, as in like you can just get a pod. The moving pods. All right. Yeah, yeah. You yeah. Can hire movers. I was thinking something pod, very different. And the pod gets attached to a freight, moves the freight, meets you there. Hire yeah. Tass Rabbit Stone, pack you golden. That sounds like my nightmare. Spent. That's Gina's nomad fee. Yeah. <laughs> pretty, pretty cheap. Yeah. Finally, a teaser for tomorrow's Weekend Wisdom with SurveyMonkey CMO, Leela Sternabastin. On tomorrow's Weekend Wisdom, the world is just rife with examples of companies not listening to their key stakeholders. Find this and more like it on RecurNow.com. That's it for your October 17th episode of Recur Now. Interested in being featured on the show? Well, if you have news you want to share, whether it's a product launch, update, an event in the space, or a hardcore opinion on a story we've covered, send me a note at abby at recurnow.com. Let's collaborate. 